it was very divine timing for me um, because I like declared I was going to do this podcast. A couple weeks go by, maybe a month, a couple months went by and they opened the studio up. Amazing. And, and I was already like coming to Squatch and I was like loving the community here. And then it's just like made the process of doing this on my own in the beginning stages, like yeah. very, very easy. And I'm just like, what's going on here? That's really nice. And You're yeah. Showing up. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I do recall um, meeting you for the first time at uh, my friend Sasha's uh, party. Um, well, we met at Mueller first. We ran into you at the farmer's market when I was with John and his oh, yeah. parents Okay. for like a second. Yes. And then yes, Sasha's. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, and now Sasha's birthday. dating my friend, Lauren. Oh, whoa. It's amazing. Sasha's doxxed uh, <laughs> as a Bitcoiner. Um, yeah, I think when I saw... Uh, you and John, it was John's 30th birthday at Mueller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was almost a year ago. Yeah. And something, so something that you said to me, not at the farmer's market, but at Sasha's party. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's, it's um, been instilled within me ever since is that uh, you're figuring out your own genius. You said that. Yeah. And um, I hadn't heard someone say that to me ever. And I was like, that, I love how she said that. Yeah. It was, it was impactful. Our voice is our most powerful thing. It's the first thing that people try to silence or manipulate. Mm. And to be able to have a platform where you get to hop in and speak what feels true for you and to invite other, other people on to share from that space, that's the holiest, that's some of the holiest work of all, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's what people are hungry for. Yeah, and that's why I feel a... You know, there's, there's so many thoughts that have come to mind when it uh, comes to this process, right? A part of me feels like, oh, maybe I'm just fulfilling my own selfish desire. Uh, but also there does feel like this is, um, these conversations are, are of benefit to society, mm -hmm. I, I believe at least, um, I would hope. And it's just like there's so many, you know, my ego, my mind just kind of goes all over the place with... Um, in a good way, it's definitely, it's been a much more of a challenge doing this than I could have imagined, um, formulating a podcast. And uh, it's just like an elegant dance of balance, just like balancing these things, you know. Um, and uh, so anyways, uh, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for. Uh, My great joy. It's yeah. so fun to be here. What a great, great way to spend the day. Yeah. Um, Appreciate you reaching out and, and um, I thought it'd be great. So I, I did take a look at your website and there's a lot of content on your website and uh, I've been following you for a bit. <clears throat> um, and I typically go through and I'll do like a little overview of people's Instagrams if they have one. And you had like, I mean, you've got a lot of content. So um, wasn't able to get through it all. But yeah. uh, that would take you way back. It, We're talking 2013. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could um yeah maybe just introduce yourself um in any way that you'd like and then we can kind of dive into what uh you know led you to where you are now i'm aaron rachel Doppelt. i'm a spiritual psychology and meditation teacher mm. and i started my instagram in 2013 which Whoa. was like kind of like a it's back in the that day. was i was an early adapter yeah and I help people essentially do the thing that they've always wanted to do, merging Eastern ritual and Western psychology. Mm. 
And it took me a long time to realize that that's quite different for every single person, right? Some people want to manifest their soulmate. Some people want to launch and scale a business or a podcast or write a book. Some people want to book a plane ticket and travel. Some people want to get healthy or change their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Everybody kind of wants something different to get pregnant, to have a healthy headspace. And there's so many ways to reach that desired feeling state, to reach that goal. And I kind of help people figure out by merging the East and the West, which is the highest possible timeline for them or what is the pathway for them. Mm -hmm. I spent my 20s living in Israel, India, all throughout Asia, Europe. My background's in clinical psychology. So I combine them together and I get to talk about the things that not only that I love, but it's radical healing, mm -hmm. right? What it, what it means to be the truest sovereign individual of your own life. Mm -hmm. Because once you know these tools and frameworks, once you know how to connect to your breath, once you know who you truly are at your core, once you know thyself, you move throughout life in a radically different way. Mm -hmm. it makes you powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I totally, um, well, so I resonate with the combination of, um, I'm, I'm not even sure how th this is intertwined, but it seems like a pretty unique practice that you have here. So, um, my first step towards my own self-improvement journey was meditation. And it was pretty simple. It was downloading Headspace. Uh, at this point in my life, I f was pretty desperate for whatever. Um, granted, I wasn't in like, I, I, like from an uh, external observation, things looked great. You know, like my I had a nice job. I had a relationship with a beautiful um, girl and... You know, I, but I still, something clearly was not aligned with my natural self or my, <clears throat> my higher self. And so meditation was the first step towards just, you know, diving into the realm of uh, getting past whatever I was trying to get past, which was certain internal angst and, and, uh, this existential angst and, and, uh, I hit 25 and I was just like, where am I going in life? This is not what I want to do. So meditation helped. And so it looks like you've got a combination of being a meditation teacher and a spiritual psychologist. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how, how that's kind of intertwined and how you carry that out with the people that you work with as well as your clients or students. You bring up the most important point, which is something had to go wrong. And I think in our culture, we fear anxiety, mm -hmm. we fear depression or sadness. We fear that feeling state of anything that isn't good, right? Stress, disappointment, anguish, despair, devastation for our current reality. Those are markers that you're about to wake up, mm. right? Those are markers that you are on the spiritual path. And it's so important that we kind of redefine that conversation. And there's a lot of research on this, of how depression and anxiety are sometimes the first indications that you are becoming more aware of your responsibility in your own life. Mm. So that's a common thread for all of us. Anyone who's going out and doing work that's in alignment with their their highest self or their soul or their inner guru, or their inner guide. So when you are 
coming, when you're walking yourself back home, right? When you're coming back to self, you notice that you're feeling out of alignment. You're in a relationship that you think should be the end all be all, but something's off. You're in a job that on paper is really amazing, but you kind of wake up with stress on your chest every Mm -hmm. morning before you go to work. You're trying to live a healthy lifestyle, but it takes so much energy to get to the gym or to go for a walk or to turn off Netflix or to put down your phone or to say no to the 5 p.m. glass of wine, Mm. which we've normalized in our culture. (laughs) And you're encouraged to do within our culture. And then you're introduced to meditation. And meditation is encouraging you to slow down, to connect to your breath, to turn inwards, to pause. And when you meditate and just to share with everyone else, I speak, I teach a very specific lineage of meditation. Mm. So I teach up-level meditation. It's an active meditation practice. You open up your shoulders, you open up your hips, and it's geared for people with ADD, ADHD, anxiety, depression, compulsive, typically negative thought patterns. Because silent seated meditation, like headspace, calm, insight timer, this guided where you're seated, that's so nourishing for some people. However, if you are in the heightened emotional state, if you are in the panic attack, mm-hmm. you are not gonna be able to drop into that type of practice. So I teach movement, breath work, get into your body, sway, shift, jump, shimmy, like do whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. It can be perceived as a, as a more feminine embodiment practice, but it's best for all people. Mm-hmm. And it gets you back into your body. And once you know how to connect to your breath, once you know how to get back into your body, once you can ground, you can then take aligned action. You can then access the greatest feeling state of all, which is clarity, and you can move forward in that trajectory. So meditation, absolutely life-altering. I don't work with anybody unless they have a dedicated meditation practice. Uh, It's too, it's free. Mm. And there's so many, and kind of what we were talking about earlier, there's so many free resources out there, right? Like I have a YouTube show, I have a podcast, I'm on your podcast, I'm on like, a, like there's so many ways to mm-hmm. learn these practices. There are so many meditation modalities that are free, like free videos. And you just have to decide that you are going to go out and access it. Mm. So the tools are there. Once you have your breath, oh, it's yeah. powerful. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had, a, I mean, over the course of the past, five to six years, I've just been kind of flabbergasted by the amount of resources out there. And it, it's actually, it can be like parallel. What is it? Um, uh, procrastination over, or because of the amount of abundance, I forgot the, the, the phrase, but um, yeah, there are a lot of free resources. I do have Insight Timer. <clears throat> I do have, I'm actually just getting back into Sam Harris's um, uh, what it's, I think it's called, uh, I forgot the name of his app, but, um, he, 10% happier. No, it's, uh, it'll, it'll come to me, but, um, it's a month, there's a monthly charge to it though. Eventually it's not free. So the first week is free. I'm getting back into it. Um, I haven't been as structured and had like, I've been just experimenting with different stuff. Um, I used to be, I mean, for the first three years of uh, when I started meditating, I was doing it every single day for 10 to 10 minutes to 60 minutes. And now I'm at the spot where I'm doing a little bit of breath work and I'm, you know, stretching my body in different ways. I'm going to the gym a lot. I'm doing all these different things. So, but having, coming back to the discipline, the commitment uh, is important. And I think in the beginning stages, 
you can have these free resources, but um, the commitment is can be tough. I mean, the discipline of doing it every single day, these apps can help you. Uh, and, and something that I spoke to in my, uh, one of my previous conversations with my buddy Chris, coming to the gym by myself now is, is almost effortless. Right. Making that decision. At first it was not. Uh, there was accountability that helped me mold that, you know, that discipline of coming here and realizing, oh, wow, this is more than just like I'm looking better physically. This is right now. It's, it's almost all, uh, I would say, a balance of like mental and emotional health. I mean, coming to the gym and, and lifting weights or stretching, moving my body in some way uh, is, is medicine. For me um but yeah the in the beginning phase it, there was accountability uh coming here i had two friends that i would i would join at the gym and i think if i didn't have those two friends it wouldn't be this you know i wouldn't have this mold this um you know this structure this discipline so i think that having these teachers uh in your your business and committing financially means this is the real deal too, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm curious, you mentioned up-level meditation. So Vipassana seems to be, um, in all these apps that I've been using, so Headspace and Sam Harris's and Insight Timer, which is literally just, it seems, uh, I could be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Vipassana is just allowing the thoughts, your, your thoughts to flow and just to have a constant state of awareness, um, with those thoughts, with those feelings, with those sensations, back to your breath. Um, how is, is this different, up-leveling? Extremely. <laughs> yeah. I have strong opinions on Vipassana. I would love to hear them. Yeah. So, and this is a good conversation about the difference between men and women mm. when we're talking about discipline and dedication and devotion. Men are typically the same, right? Testosterone rises and falls with the sun. Women, we experience the month quite differently. We have mm. four different phases and we're four different types of our highest self throughout the month. So an active meditation practice during follicular and ovulation is gonna feel amazing, but maybe more of a gentle, silent seated body scan would feel better during luteal or menstrual. Vipassana is the practice of being aware of your breath, the inhale and exhale coming in and out of your nose. It's a specific lineage of silent seated meditation. It can also be applied to a walking meditation and my personal opinion is Vipassana is best for men. Mm. So for women who are, and, and for anyone who's not familiar with this practice, it's typically a 10, really 12 day retreat in uh, a certified ashram or spiritual center. Mm. It's technically free. You are asked to donate at the end. Yeah. And you get about two meals a day and you dive into the practice. And it's one of the themes is this extreme suffering that you move through to be in silence and to be in the, in the essence of this. And for many people, you can perceive that suffering is, suffering is one pathway to peace. I don't align with that. That's not interesting to me. That's incredibly off-brand. So <laughs> I think a silent seated meditation practice is something that works really well for men. And for women, it does require more of an embodiment of dropping into the body, increased breath work, opening up the shoulders and hips. Of course, that's going to work amazing for men as well. But essentially, there's 8 billion people in this world. So there's 8 billion different ways to eat for optimum health, 8 billion different ways to connect to a loved one, 8 billion different ways to meditate. 
So if that resonates with somebody, sure, pursue that. But that is definitely not, that's, that's never something I recommend, number one. And number two, it's what I've seen. It hasn't, it, it works for some people and it really just doesn't resonate mm. with others. And there's so many different ways to move, move towards a healthy headspace. That's one of the more extremes and it doesn't need to be. So something that I always say is keep the practices holy, right? So take the practices seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. Mm. We are human beings having a spiritual experience. So yes, showing up for your 18 minute, I think 18 minutes is plenty of time for a morning routine or a spiritual practice. Show up for that every single day. However, if you fall off the wagon, just do it the next day. And when you're taking the practices seriously, the I teach meditations that are passed down word of mouth from gurus I studied with in India and mm. Bali and uh, yoga centers in Vietnam and Thailand. And I spent significant amount of time in these diverse ashrams in North and South India. And some of these practices are so holy that they are just passed down word of mouth. Keep them holy, right? Keep them sacred. And then also when you move into the practice, you have to allow yourself to experience it in a way that feels authentic for you. Otherwise, you're not going to integrate the benefits of the breathwork, of the practice, of the meditation. So keep the practices holy, show up for them, take the practices seriously, the rituals, the prayers, the rites of passage. Mm. However, you miss the point when we take ourselves too seriously. And then we question, we're hard on ourselves. Are we worthy of this? Am I going to pursue it? you're going to continue procrastinating. You're not going to do it unless it's perfect. Mm. And therein lies like the human dilemma. Yeah. So you have to be gentle on thyself and then you can really get the fullness out of whatever yogic lineage you study under or just mindfulness in general. There's so much that I uh, want to ask. Um, uh, for what you stated <clears throat> for the, the human aspect of not being gentle with ourselves do you have any practices within your um you know within your program that helps people with that yeah so the program that you're referring i'm best known for my certification so okay. it's a year-long training where you become a certified meditation teacher and spiritual psychology coach it's called the aligned coaching certification okay. uh, i've had 56 incredible people move through it we're launching it for the sixth or seventh time right now and it's a it's instead of going back to school to get your master's in psychology or social work or clinical psych, you're getting a certification. I'm giving like all of my, what I studied at Columbia mm. into this training, <clears throat> science of happiness, emotional intelligence, manifestation frameworks, right? Like really powerful, powerful programming mm -hmm. that is way more cost effective than getting a master's degree in the States. So, we talked about accountability a little bit before and how important it is to be in the room, right? To be surrounded by other people who are doing this deep work. And when you are on that path of doubling your devotion, right? Because if you're in this certification, if you're in this program, you must have an 18 minute meditation practice every single day. Mm. So I just talked to my client, Debbie, who's on day 288. She's 70 years old. Whoa. 288 of meditation, never had a meditation practice her whole life. I talked to one of my other clients, um, and she, she's just launching so many programs, right? She's launching one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, a six-month program mm. for entrepreneurs and creators. And there's so much that can be birthed once you already 
have your breath. So it's an absolutely transformational program, but you're getting access to the, like you're accelerated. Once you know the tools, once you know the frameworks, you're never going to unlearn them. So you can decide right now to invest your time in studying meditation or investing your time in showing up to go on the gym or to go on a walk or to show Mm -hmm. up for a first date. You learn what you learn and it's better to learn these things now as opposed to three decades from now, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to tools on how to relax your nervous system because that's what we need, Yeah. right? If you can, if you can relax your nervous system, you'll hear a siren, you'll see a yellow light and you're going to decide if you're going to slam on the brakes or Mm. accelerate. Like all the time we have adrenaline running through the body. We get a text message from a boss that says we need to talk on Monday and you have no idea what it means. We have adrenaline running through the body and we're in this constant state of flight, fright, or freeze. You have to connect to your breath. You have to slow down. You have to have a mindful pause. You got to drink water with a little bit of salt in it so you properly absorb it. I mean, there's so many practices that Mm -hmm. drop you back into your body. Otherwise, we would just be like little spirits floating through the world. You're in a human meat suit for a reason. Mm. So you got to take care of it. Mm. Yeah. Um, So I'd like to dive into your journey to get here. so you are Jewish and you went to Israel many times or a few times? Many. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, and you led some retreats or trips with students. Uh, could you, I mean, then you, you went afar to, to India and to Thailand to study Eastern religion. Uh, and so... Uh, I would love to hear about your journeys um, wherever you'd like to begin. Um, I I was personally raised as a Catholic. Nice. um, But the faith and the devotion and the taking it seriously and the embodiment and practice of it on a daily basis kind of ceased, I'd say, as I became an adolescent. Um, So I went and I did my first communion, but didn't do like my confirmation and uh yeah my family kind of just lost that um and so when it comes to a jewish practice i have a general sense of the religion but i'd like to understand it more and then your um your your journey in israel uh and then onwards what a great question thanks (laughs) for doing such good research yeah (laughs) There's so much to say. So first of all, everyone is spiritual, right? We grow up as spiritual children. It's not encouraged. It's not nurtured. You go into the school systems and maybe you have an art class and maybe that's one way you can express it. Or maybe your parents get you a puppy or a cat or like you fish. Mm -hmm. And that's one way you can express connecting to another being. Or maybe you have like a close relationship with a grandparent or nature or trees Children are innately spiritual and we, we just, we don't nurture it in our culture. And I was a spiritual child, like so many of us, right? And Na- I- Naturally or did your parents kind of- No, completely naturally. Okay. So, so much of Judaism in America is like, and they call it like stand up, sit down. It's like you're sitting in a synagogue and you kind you know the prayers because you've sung them so many times. You don't really know what they're, they mean because 
you study Hebrew, but it's not, um, you know, it wasn't interesting to me when I was in middle school, when you're going to Hebrew school three times a week. I wanted to go to soccer. I wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted to watch TV. But now as an adult, especially being 32 and pregnant with my first and something when John and I got married, and I know you know my husband and I know if you're familiar with me, I married the most amazing, incredible person I've ever met my whole entire Mm -hmm. life. And I pray for that for all beings. Mm -hmm. But John and I actually grew up in the same synagogue, same town. I've known his parents forever. Like we we had such different connections. Like John found Hebrew school quite interesting. He's Mm. innately brilliant. He takes on languages quite well. I wanted to play. It was like the last place in the world that I wanted to be until I went to Israel. So I went to Israel when I was 17 and it is the land of the Jews, right? And it is a holy Mecca. It is a, a land, especially Jerusalem, sacred to all of us, us like also in Catholicism. And being Jewish growing up in America, you know about Christianity. It's a Christian country, right? Mm -hmm. You know about Christmas, you know about Easter. And maybe it's like through the perspective of Santa Claus, but you're still accustomed to these cultural norms that are just a default of growing up in a Christian country. So when I went to Israel, you land in the airport, you feel the energy, you feel the essence of the place. And I was 17 years old the first time I went there. And I talk about this often, but it is important. It was the first time that I came, uh, that I was activated, that I reconnected to God, that Mm. I kind of understood there was something bigger than myself out there. As you arrived. Yeah, like as I arrived and also specifically the desert of Israel is so sacred. So many of our stories in in the Torah and the Bible take place in the desert. Mm. So just you're laying in the desert, you're looking up at the stars. And I had this epiphany that everything is connected. I can shine just like these stars. I don't love saying it like that because it almost sounds, <laughs> Yeah. it sounds, yeah. It's it, sounds che- it, it sounds super cheesy. It's cheesy. <clears throat> However, the feeling state isn't conveyed in English and that's emotional intelligence. A lot of the research behind emotional intelligence is we never have the right words to explain the feeling state. So. Mm. Israel became like a big place for me and in, in my journey. And I knew I needed to live there mm. and kind of like how, what you said, how this podcast studio opened up and everything kind of flowed. Something similar happened for me. I s- applied and I got to lead the same trip that I went on after undergrad, the mm-hmm. trip that I went on when I was 17 years old. And I started leading all the spiritual niche birthright trips and birthright is if you were Jewish enough to die in the Holocaust, you're Jewish enough to get a free trip to Israel. So this means if you're one eighth Jewish Mm. and it's a really interesting organization, you get a free trip between 18 to 26 years old. Um, For anyone who's listening, just Google birthright Israel. You'll see all all the good stuff. Mm. And I led a million of those trips and I connected with like the coolest people ever. But the greatest thing for me is I would lead a trip in January of whatever year and I would use Tel Aviv as my home base. And then I would travel to Bali, Jordan, Europe. Like I would just go it's so much closer when you're already in Israel. So, and just to come back, so much of Judaism is radically shifting in today's world because anti-Semitism is incredibly alive and well. Mm -hmm. The things that are sexy and interesting about Judaism is Kabbalah, which is what Madonna made famous with the red string 
two decades ago, three decades ago. And Kabbalah is Jewish mysticism. So when I was living in India, I was studying Hinduism. I was studying Buddhism. I was studying Sikhism. I was chanting Sanskrit, covering my head and wearing kortis all day. I was eating vegan or raw vegan. Like I was so deep on the path of uh, a lineage that really resonated with me at that time. And then I remembered I'm Jewish, you know, like I think the first thing that people need to ask themselves is why was I born in this part of the world? Why was I born to this specific set of parents? Why does my family pray to this specific kind of God? And it really brought me back to Judaism. Studying yoga and being in India brought me back to Judaism. So I think it's really interesting the pathways that people take to bring them home because there is this underlying theme that whatever we were born into isn't like the most interesting thing. Mm -hmm. However, a lot of these sacred practices, so in um, in Hinduism, there's the, in, in yoga, let's say, there's the chakra system. So chakra is a Sanskrit word. It means energetic wheel. It starts at the base of the tailbone. It goes to the top of the head. In different yogic lineages, it's said that women have more, have more energetic wheels. And that's in Hinduism. Ch the, the chakra system. Chakra yeah, system. more like, yeah, yogic philosophy. Yep. And yoga is a segment of Hinduism, mm -hmm. uh, which is asana, which is the actual prostration. So the actual prayers, the actual practice, saluting the sun, saluting the moon. Mm. And yoga was brought into the world mostly for men. So that's another thing for people to meditate on. So you have to modify for women as well. One question. Uh, did you say you were born in the United States? Yeah, Chicago. Like, okay, yeah. gotcha. All right. Yeah, outside of Chicago. And your parents were... And my parents were born in the city of Chicago and okay. our ancestors are Eastern European. Gotcha. Yeah. And in Judaism, there's, there's sufliyot, like there's different symbols and lessons that are very similar to the chakra system. So then you start finding these parallels mm. between yogic philosophy and Kabbalah or Jewish mysticism or Judaism in general. And then you dive deeper and there's Jewish meditation. And then you dive deeper and there's divine feminine empowerment rituals like Rosh Hodesh, which is the, one of the greatest things. It's a really interesting story. So Rosh Hodesh is the new moon. So women bleed typically like when you go outside and you see that there's an empty moon, there's no moon. Women will typically sink, women who are not on hormonal birth control, to the new or full moon. Mm. So you have to think about your ancestors. And in Judaism, the story goes, there was a golden calf. And the men of the village were so excited to have this golden calf. They were so grateful to receive it, the beauty of it, the wealth of it. And they said to everyone in the village, we need to start worshiping this golden calf. And the women said, no, one of the foundations of Judaism is not to worship idols. We will not worship this golden calf. And ja and and God, I almost said my husband, John, because <laughs> it's synonymous it's to me. Yeah. And God, that's, that's such a sweet Freudian slip. <laughs> and God rewarded women with the new moon, with Rosh Hodesh, which is women gathering in a circle to bleed into the earth or to come together in community. And women will always keep the moon. Women will always keep the rituals. Women will always keep what we know to be sacred. Mm. So then I mostly, while honoring so much of what I know about Christianity and Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism, because religion is fascinating. Sikhism, Jainism, like you're, 
um, I wanted to eat it all, right? I wanted to study it all, so I did, and it brought me back to who I am, mm -hmm. which is a Jewish woman who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago that's pretty bougie, but also a hippie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I myself have, um, <clears throat> as of late, been more intrigued and naturally curious towards religions. Um, and as I stated, I was I was introduced to Catholicism and then that faded away. And I, that was due to some of the corruption and like egregious things that would happen in the Catholic church. That's how my family kind of faded away from it. And, you know, and then I see war start over different religions and um, I, I'm just, what I'm starting to see because I'm just getting into this spiritual exploration and you know, even the study of the religions of Christianity, Hinduism, Judaism, I'm, I don't, I just have a very general understanding. Yeah. And there's so much to understand. There's so much knowledge out there. But what I'm finding is that there does seem to be this like unification of, as you stated, like a, it's, there's a meditation aspect for the mind and for, you know, the chakras and, and, um, the chakras just from, you know, Western point of view seem really kind of like, it's, it's obviously, well, it's non-rational. It's, it, it's, it's not as um, appealing or it's not scientific. Like we have a very structured, scientific, rigid understanding. Like I just watched Oppenheimer, which is a movie based on the scientist that was uh, friends with Einstein, but he he's well known for creating one of the, you know, I think it's the hydrogen atom bomb. How was it? It was fascinating. Um, it was pretty long and it does get into, I mean, obviously at the time it's, um, it's, it's during, you know, Hitler's reign and you, you start to realize like his perspective, according to the movie, I mean, some of these things are potentially embellished and there's, you know, certain facts that are twisted because it's a movie, but you see the perspective of him creating the atom bomb and he's at this um, facility that they created out in like the middle of the desert somewhere in like new mexico i think and once they create it and they establish the fact that it was successful you know he's he's just like people are crying and like treating him as a god right wow. and, and it was um he himself i think is Jew jewish he comes from germany i think oppenheimer is he's from germany and um there's one scene that I really resonated with it because it was just beautifully orchestrated by the director of um, everybody's like cheering and clapping and it's like super loud and, and then they like mute everybody's clapping and it's just his breath as he's making an announcement just saying like kind of like his celebration announcement and as he's doing this the way that the the cinematography is constructed it's like people that are in America clapping for him as he achieved this their faces are melting as if the atom bomb is 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 going off right there and he's like you know saying like i bet i bet you japan won't be as happy by the fact that we created the earth like he's just celebrating but deep down you can tell he's like there's so much angst of like wow. I, I am the creator of death there's a there's a famous quote by oppenheimer I'm, I'm totally forgetting it but he's like i am the bringer of death right and a lot of people some people will argue that the creation of the atom bomb in a way uh and i think in the movie too, I'm straight. I'm going so far here from 
where I was initially at, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, distributing this creation of the atom bomb around the world was this kind of level playing field of, um, of, of, you know, not causing destruction of humanity. And anyways, where was I going with that? Um, I was going with, uh, Judaism. Okay. So he, yeah, science and, and rationalism and this competition, like back Oppenheimer is a, is a well, uh, structured, uh, display of, of the race towards science, the cold war of science and how that just accelerated. And I think that's why, I mean, that's still prominent nowadays, right? With and technology. praising him as God. And praise, also. Praising him as God. I mean, people praise Apple as God. People praise Elon right now as God. Um, and so there's just so like the human experience is so fascinating to me. We have literally just this abundance of information. It's, it is actually overwhelming. And I'm just very curious. And I'm seeing all these, these similarities of, you know, I think that freedom of religion is very important because the human, the human mind and the human experience is so unique. It's so unique. And for, you know, for every human being to follow one religion, I just don't see, I don't know. I'm, I'm blabbering here and I'm, I'm totally ranting, but that's all to say that I do find it curious, like, uh, yeah, is there seems to be this like encompassing, like unifying aspect to every single religion around the world. You bring up a really interesting point, and it's the reason why you left the Catholic Church, right? And it's idols falling from their pedestal, which is a really big theme in yogic philosophy as well. These great yogic educators turned out to be rapists Mm. and sexists and racist and like really horrible individuals. However, that's also kind of what I'm not to defend them in any way. I'm the first one. I won't even quote them publicly and I don't even, I'll teach the practices, but I won't, um, I won't honor them by their name. Mm -hmm. And it's another way of keeping the practices sacred without making ourselves so like taking ourselves too seriously and too. Yes. But like I do reject the the doings of if you don't align with the Catholic Church, but so much of Catholicism might be rituals that you actually resonate with. But because of the things that happened by human beings, we have a mass generation that isn't resonate, resonating right now. Mm-hmm. Or there's so many people that woke up. There's a very specific lineage called Kundalini, which is a super sacred practice of waking up the energy that lies dormant in the base of your tailbone. And it has helped so many people radically mm-hmm. heal. And reach higher states of consciousness and feel better. However, the yogic educator that brought it to the West turned out to be a horrible human being. However, you could still keep the yogi bhajan. You could still keep the practices. Um, So there's a really interesting, and I write, I talk about this in my book a lot. So my book comes out in May. Oh, cool. And it's called Nothing Can Stop You, which I'm really excited about. Mm. I'll do a big book launch here. So I'll keep you posted on that. And yes, there's so many mentors, guides, and I always say like midwives of the soul. And then there was these people that we put on these pedestals and we expect them to be so enlightened and so much better than us. And they're, they're like great teachers. And the most important thing is to kind of turn inward and to find that inner guru and self, that inner leader and self, 
You can honor the practices that resonate with some people that you possibly admire. But the most important thing is to integrate it in your own way and mm -hmm. question it. Does this actually resonate? Does this feel good in my body? Does this make me feel happier? Am I enjoying this? We see this so often with diet culture in the wellness space. We're both in the wellness space, right? Yeah. So John will come home and he's like, that's it. I'm doing 30 day carnivore. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm pregnant. I don't give a fuck. Like I will be making <laughs> these like, want. yeah, I was like, you do you. I was a devote vegan for a very long time. I would, uh, I did green smoothies. I did the cabbage soup diet before prom, right? Like all of these things, ketosis for women, mm. the paleo diet, vegetarianism. That's, we have to sometimes think about religion or rituals or rites of passage as similar to a diet you need to find the one that most resonates for you and your body and move forward in that space because we all need different things from our food systems. We all need different things from our diet. The same thing is true with spiritual practice. Mm. Yeah, that's um, just analyzing, you know, Christ. And uh, I think, so can you enlighten me on, um, so the, the Bible is obviously uh, somewhat, or the Old Testament, I think, is the first. Torah. The Torah for, for Judaic. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same story. <clears throat> and then you guys came out with another edition yeah. because Jews don't recognize Christ as the Messiah. The Messiah for Judaism is... Um, We're still waiting. We're still waiting. <laughs> we'll keep you posted on okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very interesting um, stuff. And, and uh, there's, yeah, there's so many different things that, you know, I hear cosmic consciousness, Christ consciousness, and you know, I, I do still want to get into your experience of what you just talked about being in India and the slums of India and all that. Um, and yeah, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, we could talk more about Christianity and Judaism. I mean, at the core, right, we're talking about great spiritual leaders, Buddha, Jesus Christ, Moses, mm -hmm. Lakshmi, Shiva, uh, like great idols that went out into the world and have these amazing stories. There's one uh, term I've heard to describe Buddha and Christ is like, um, it's like our enlightened descendants in a way. Right. And they're not necessarily, they themselves are not God, but they embodied. Beautiful. It, it, does that resonate with what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak for all Jewish people, but I can speak for myself. I mean, Christ was one of the greatest educators and spiritual leaders ever, like, mm -hmm. of course. And there's so many overlaps. For example, Pesach, Passover for Jews, which is a time where we come together and we eat unleavened bread, mm -hmm. is at the same time as Easter every single year. So at the Last Supper, so the picture of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper at a big table with everybody eating and drinking wine and all together, that's a Jewish Passover Seder. Mm -hmm. So we have these deep interconnected relations that just kind of shifted when so many people revered Christ as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't taken upon for all the Jewish people. And now because of the Holocaust, there's just a lot less of us. So there's less like people in general mm -hmm. keeping the holidays or Shabbat, which mm -hmm. is the best thing ever. If Shabbat for anyone who is listening or doesn't know, it's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and it's a time of rest. So you don't use technology, you connect with your family, you eat an amazing meal. And uh, not that John and I 
keep Shabbat like that. But even last night we had our friends over. We I made a lamb senya, so divine, mm, very delicious. You make an epic meal. You say the prayers, you light the candles, which my ancestors have been doing every Friday for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And you connect to the light and you invite in the light. Now lighting the candles, the Shabbat candles is inviting in the bride. So the Shekhinah, the divine feminine. John will say the blessing over the wine. So wine is sacred in almost every religion and culture. When you bless wine, you infuse it with goodness and mm -hmm. you're just, you're grateful for the harvest. You bless uh, challah, like bread. So you do the hamotzi over bread, which is bread and flour. Again, it's so common in all organized religion to have some sort of flour or carb that we're grateful for because of the most recent harvest. Mm. So at the core, Judaism is, it's a lot about agriculture, right? And just being grateful that God bestowed upon us good weather so that we could raise our crops and eat food. Mm -hmm. So Shabbat is like the coolest thing ever. And it's, it's said that uh, the Jews don't keep Shabbat. Shabbat keeps the Jews, that mm -hmm. it's the practice that really keeps people from, keeps people connecting within, within the religion. How often do you practice that per year? <clears throat> John grew up a bit more observant than my family. I mean, he kept kosher in the house and by, we grew up in the conservative movement. Kosher? Kosher. So, uh, cause kosher is usually a term like, oh yeah, that's, that's kosher. kosher. That's kosher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the Jews. It's, and also, and Muslims also. So kashrut is like the holy way of eating, but mm. it's cleansing, right? It's the clean, the clean way to eat. It's no pork. It's John could talk about this so much better than mm -hmm. I. Not mixing milk and meat. Okay. Um, Why is that? Do you think that wasn't the I combination think, just up like irritates the microbiome or the gut? Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, no shellfish. It was things that were dirty thousands of years ago. Mm. It was things that were unclean to eat thousands of years ago. Uh, of gotcha. course. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, nowadays people are so into like raw milk and all these different. Yeah. You know, I wonder if it's it's making a comeback, but I wonder if there's yeah. going to be like a now, there's a reason why, I don't know, a lot of people are so against the fact that there's pasteurized milk right now. And and Squatch specifically is introducing raw milk and it's yeah. just very prevalent here. And there's a lot of like great nutrients. And the argument is, is of when course. you pasteurize it, you kill you're, all getting, the bacteria. You're, you're killing the bacteria, but you're also killing some of the most plentiful uh, nutrients. But it's because of people dying from some of the bacteria that just goes Ari with like consuming raw milk. And so... Ever since then, we had regulations put into place by the FDA, and but now it was, it's—I mean, it's just because people didn't wash their hands. That's it. Yeah, and yeah, that's not, like it's not proper. That's everything. But I mean, just think about it realistically. I spent—you know—I was nomadic for so much of my twenties. John and I, which is why we never, John and I never met. Right? Mm -hmm. We would have never met in Chicago because I was living on the other side of the yeah. world. <clears throat> and I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, and also divine timing. But so many of us, when you spend a lot of time traveling. 50% of the population is H. pylori. H. pylori is something like a bacteria that lies dormant in the body. Yes, it can lead to bloating. Yes, it can lead to fatigue or insomnia, uh, maybe acne or rosacea. Mm. I mean, a lot of different things, but you just get it from unclean hands. Mm. So people just really need to wash their hands. And statistically, men just need to wash their hands. Yeah. Women are much better about it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true with raw milk, which were raw cheese, raw milk, yeah. We're on that whole kick. Yeah. And the other thing that kind of stuck 
in my mind is the blessing of wine and how prevalent that is in different religions. And um, there's a pretty interesting book that I'm forgetting. His name is Brian, and it starts with an M. Uh, he was on Joe Rogan, and he essentially he wrote a book. Um, it's not called The Skeleton Key, but it's like the something key, I think. Anyways, the premise of his discoveries, like he he did a lot of research on ancient civilizations. So Rome, um, you know, Greece, and studied their religions and found in many different uh, ancient uh, traditions and rituals the findings of, of psychedelic substances were prevalent. And a lot of, he, this guy, uh, Brian, he... He's getting tons of hate, just like Graham Hancock. And the funny thing is that Graham Hancock wrote the forward of this book. So there's like this evolving narrative of history right now. Um, the aspect of psychedelics being prevalent in ancient religions is like, I think, frowned upon by by acad like academia right now. But it seems to be something that's coming up. Um, and so wine is not obviously a psychedelic, but I mean, in a way... It, it does alter your consciousness. It does alter, you know, even if you have a small amount, like, uh, you know, um, I started drinking when I was young and I, my grandfather was addicted. Right. Uh, and I'm still learning more about myself. I'm like, I, I and I'm not really attuned to the Zodiac signs, but I've been, I, I bought this book about that relates Zodiac signs with your chakra. And something kind of aligned with uh, this book aligned with uh, me being a Taurus and that's connected to the second chakra, which typically means you're more of a sensual person. And a lot of the things that were described in this book resonated with who I am. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, man, I, I've never been a Zodiac kind of guy, but it, this, whatever this guy's writing does feel right in a way. Um, so when I was younger, I drank alcohol with some friends and it was the the like changing of consciousness like the, the alcohol you know in my stomach in my gut lining the, for the first time uh and it changed the way i felt and i was like oh wow this is fascinating and but then it over time the relationship the relationship between alcohol grew unhealthy so i i've distanced myself a little bit from it it's not to say that i won't ever drink but it's just a little test and um experiment for myself but uh alcohol wine does seem to be prevalent in different religions and um yeah in, in psychedelics as well which is fascinating like the intertwining of not even just indigenous people in south america or uh you know in other other territories but aside from you know north america but it does seem to be prevalent in other aspects of the world um, you're bringing up a really interesting point because and there's a lot of different parallels here. So every organized religion blesses something that they drink before it. Now, mm -hmm. what are we doing when we bless something? When I'm not drinking a ton of coffee right now, but before I was pregnant, I would take my cup of coffee. I would put my hands around it and you would, I would infuse it with my intention for the day. I would bless my cup of coffee and then I would drink it and I would become my blessing mm. or my wish for the day or my intention for the day or my manifestation for the day. Yeah. This is something that, comes from all religion. Yeah. And wine 
it's it's so different than it is today, right? Like you really need to work hard to find a clean wine. I feel like in Austin, yep. we can easily find, find that, a yeah. really amazing natural wine. Of course, we buy from a Bitcoiner in Colorado. I know exactly yeah, who it is yeah. too. I met him and he uh, he wanted to come on the podcast. I think it might've been John who introduced me of to course. him. Of course, yeah. Uh, potentially. And uh, it didn't, the timing didn't align for him to come on, but I've seen him on Twitter and he's got like this, pristine wine. And oh my God. It's amazing. Yeah. I'll Yeah. We'll, we'll put it in, the, have, yeah. in the show notes. Um, yeah. He like his vineyards in the hills of Colorado and you could have about two to three glasses and you don't get hungover or mm-hmm. like a sugar high or anything. It's really smooth and mm. super high quality. Um, yeah. We love the Cabernet Franc. It's quite divine. Mm. So wine for our ancestors was pure. It was fermented grapes. It was kombucha. Right. It was yeah. just like, I mean, much stronger, but, you know, it was kombucha. And today we like totally bastardized the system, which is what we do, you know, in our culture. Same with ale, too. I'm pretty sure yeah. ale was a, a like moonshine it helped you yeah. with getting some kind of nutrients. It was a digestive. Yeah. Yeah. It was good for you. And even in parts of like Italy, and we just did, we just spent a lot of time in Europe and you're given this amazing drink at the end of the meal just to like shoot back and digest mm-hmm. and like keep you warm on your walk home. There was an intention for all of this. Mm. And we removed ourselves so deeply from what we know to be sacred. Yeah. And <clears throat> what we do now, and, and it is so true that our ancestors really, they drank all the time. They smoked all the time, even if they were, I mean, tobacco is another good example. It was a super sacred plant that helped you reach reach higher states of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. That is a very fascinating thing. Sorry to interrupt. Um, there are blue zones of the world right. where people smoke cigarettes tobacco at least and drink wine yeah decent amount. sardinia italy but they live such a long period of time and that's maybe because of the quality of what they're drinking and smoking mm-hmm. but as well as the intention in the frequency and like nowadays it's just like people are constantly drinking shit like they're just drinking stuff that is just so just the quality is terrible and right even our phone our food too but anyways um yeah there's a lot of intention with you know um yeah smoking and maybe having that one glass of wine. Yeah, and we've definitely, I mean, smoking culture has radically, especially spending a lot of time in the Middle East, it's so common in Israel. And Israel is, have you been? No. Oh my God, you have to go. It's, (laughs) I mean, because it's the Middle East, it's heavily influenced by European culture, but also now heavily influenced by us in the US. Mm. So it's coffee shop culture, but it's the Middle East, so it's smoking culture, but you still have your cup of coffee and your cake and your cigarette at three o'clock, <laughs> but it's in community, right? You're yeah. not having the cigarette because you're so stressed yeah, about the yeah, day. Yeah. It's you're with your mother, you're with your auntie, yeah. you're with your children, mm-hmm. like you're connect- not that I'm uh, like supporting that, I'm just saying the intention, the connection is quite different. You're not having your 5 p.m. glass of wine because you need to chill out. You're at a dinner party. You're connecting with other people. It's a beautiful blend. It's a beautiful pour. Yeah. So it's radically different. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, we've totally lost that here in America. Yeah. Um, for, and, the, for the most part. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but like from what I've observed, um, yeah, it's just like so gone. And there's, um, you know, we're in a very fast paced environment right now. And I mean, you probably hear some some of this because John is working for a Bitcoin company and I work for a Bitcoin company. And so we have this understanding of like what's currently happening. Our money system is the connective tissue of humanity. Money is a very important technology. So right now we're 
accelerating the production, the credit creation of money. And it's, that has a profound effect on human, human behavior collectively. Um, and so we're like just the rat, the hamster wheel that people can depict of, you know, that, that can be put out there and symbolize is, is being spun faster and faster yeah. whenever they create more money and they're, they're not stopping with this, which is fucking nuts to me. Um, that's why I, anyways, um, but I, I think there's a, a part of a, the evolution of the United States being such an amazing country. I mean, for freedom of speech and all, you know, the constitution and whatnot, it's still a blessing to be here, right? But the evolution of it has, um, you know, gr drastically changed and, and tech, the advancement of technology is kind of outpacing um, certain aspects of society. So I think that the prevalence of maybe that intention and community is kind of dispersing and, and not as prevalent because of many different factors, right? And the real question is, is the American dream still alive? I think so, uh, but it's much different. I think I, I heard this, who was it? Um, it was an interview that I, I watched and it was like, if I was a man, so if I was a man in the 1900s, maybe the middle or, or in the beginning of the 1900s, the American dream, if I followed what the American dream promised and I followed how you should be a man as it was structured, I would be successful. Nowadays in America, if you follow the way that they tell you how to be a good man, which is so radically different depending on your channels of information. I mean, right now there's some wild stuff out there. I won't go too far into them, but, uh, if you follow what, how they're telling you to be a strong man, which is like in certain aspects of our media is saying that fitness is wrong and, and, uh, um, frosted mini weights are healthier. Yeah. Than and like our meat. food system and the way that, you know, you, if you're, um, toxic masculinity and, and, you know, this is the relationship between money and the power, you know, our government's having an abundant, like kind of like the Catholic church or di <clears throat> different churches back in the day, having too much power. It was another phase of humanity. And, uh, you know, the telegram, I think it was the telegram, um, the mass distribution of, of news and information was, was created. And so the church disintegrated, but they, they, cla they collapsed on for power. And that's, that is happening in my view right now with modern national governments. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, where I was going with that is, um, yeah, if you, if you were to follow how they're telling you to be a man now, you are not going to be okay. Uh, and I think that, um, yeah, the American dream, it's still there. The opportunity is still there. I think if you save in Bitcoin and if you do different things, um, but, uh, it's much different. And so, um, I think the, uh, curiosity and exploration for spirituality is becoming more, it's becoming more prevalent. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's Judaism, Christianity, it's just like more and more people are, are like, something's wrong. They can kind of feel it in their bones. At least I could, and I'm seeing it around me. And, uh, they're like, you know, whether it's spirituality of, um, what we just mentioned, but also, I don't know, uh, fitness, um, technology. I don't know, but people are always feminism. Yeah. I need to be on more bit. Bitcoin podcast, because what we're talking about is true freedom, yeah, right? So yeah. what is true freedom? Women need men to be more like the 1900s. The 
difference between masculine and feminine. Men are here to keep women safe. They must provide a foundation mm. for women to relax into. That will always be true, shouldn't be controversial. That is the role of the man. And it's not like I'm protecting you from the lion. It's I'm providing a foundation for you to feel secure and grounded and held spiritually, mentally, physically, mm -hmm. in every capacity. I'm not talking about money in this sense. It's yeah. you can be your fullest self in my energy and that's the presence of the masculine. Mm -hmm. This allows the feminine to relax and once the feminine is relaxed, then she can be her fullest, most yeah. authentic self. Yeah. Feminism is something that, you know, it, it's so new. It really is. Yeah. It's quite so I mean, did, new. Didn't it start in the 1900s? And, so, and I've heard some, this might be conspiratorial, but like there were different actors, entities, organizations, whatever you want to call it, that that were trying to put this into the minds of society to actually disintegrate and weaken uh, the public. I mean, the, we all have the power to change our government, right? If we, if we hone in. Uh, but there's so many just, it's constant. I mean, there's a constant examples of like social ideologies that are coming in, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's feminism, whether it's Nazism, whether, whatever of the times that just causes us to constantly separate. And there's, sorry to interrupt, I know you were, but. Um, no, I mean, what you're talking about is a mass awakening. Yeah. And with this mass awakening, you you have to be able to digest it. And if you cannot integrate it in your day-to-day, -day, you'll just adopt what uh, your dear friend is telling you or what the media is telling mm -hmm. you. That's why integrating the practices and asking yourself, how do I feel and think about certain situations in my life is the most important. This requires you to know yourself. This requires time for self-reflection. Yep. This requires a relaxed nervous system, which very few, if not any of us have. Yeah. Feminism is the right to choose. Yeah. So it is your right to choose if you want to make partner at your law firm, work your ass off and work your way up. It is your right to choose if you want to buy a dairy cow, move to Fredericksburg, have a million children and grow some <laughs> grow some organic produce, yeah. which I'm deeply aligned with. <laughs> and it's your right your to dream? choose. Yeah, yeah, it is. I want both. I want it all. And I believe you can. Yeah. However, the American dream is something where in our modern day culture, so in today's world, this concept of when you are making more money, then you are going to spend more yeah. money. So you stay on that, uh, you, you stay on that wheel. Yeah. And that is not sustainable. It's not. And uh, the, the cool aspect about Bitcoin being this, this money system that's detached from human nature, uh, from one person or entity or organization brings back, like I said, a radical change of human behavior and sovereignty so that you don't have to keep spending and spending and spending and, and acclimating this amount of like, you know, stuff. Um, there's so much I could dive into on that. But what I do want to stay uh, on the path with uh, is, um, and one comment that I want to make, <clears throat> I, I've heard the topic of feminism and my buddy Brandon was on and he was saying how he's hearing all these, because he's in the spiritual exploration path here in Austin. And he was like, you know, I'm hearing all these things about, I, I did a clip on Instagram about this. It was like, you know, the feminine, feminine, feminism is, or the feminine energy is rising um, because there's always been this patriarchal kind of masculine dominance. And he was like, that's fine that you think that, but the feminine has to rise in proportion of the masculine or we are just once again out of alignment. And it's not to say that people that are maybe feminists, are, you know, they're, <clears throat> they're acting out because of 
maybe they believe that. Yeah. They, I mean, statistically too, like men have, you know, ruled and, and dominated different aspects of humanity. Uh, so I can understand where they're coming from. Um, but to overpower that, it's just, it's not going to get us anywhere. I don't think the progress needs to be a proportion and balance of the feminine and the masculine. Um, so anyways, I wanted to just say that, but th there's another, I wanted to go back to the uh, prevalence of psychedelic uh, substances being found in these ancient civilizations and religion and all that. And uh, when I, you know, I first met you at the, the market, but then when I saw you at Sasha's, I can't remember. It might've been before I went to it go. It was. To, yeah. Cause I said, if you need a space to integrate, come over. Yeah. Which I actually w thought about multiple times. Um, and I would still love to hang out with you guys and um, just, I don't know, lounge out and, and hang out. But um, yeah, my, my experience was, was very uh, profound. It's the one word I've been dominantly using. Um, and the profoundness of it, the profundity uh, was, I mean, in so many different ways. Um, but it, it absolutely kind of like confirmed through the embodiment of this plant medicine, whatever you want to call it, that there is more to life that we just don't understand. And that, that prompted spiritual exploration. And then there's like this balance of, okay, you come to us and there's clearly a big community of spiritualism, but there's also like spiritual materialism. And then at the right time when I came back, someone um, brought, you know, this book that was like um, on the subject of not being uh, kind of not corrupted, but like spirit, spiritual materialism kind of just taking you over a little bit because you do like for me, when I came back, I felt, I felt amazing. Like, and I can get into that more and more, maybe off, off the mic, but, um, you and John have done ayahuasca. No, no, that is not our pathway. Oh, okay. I thought you did. Okay. Yeah. So I have a foundational belief that we cannot dumb down what we know to be sacred. Mm. Aya is a very specific medicine that I know it came to you. Like yeah. it literally came to you. Yeah. And when it comes to you, you respond. Mm -hmm. However, if it does not come to you, you have no business thinking about it. Mm. And I think so often, again, in our culture, what we did with wine, what we did with tobacco, yeah. this is the next yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I think you're totally respectful, obviously, mm -hmm. on that pathway, which is why we can consciously talk about it. However, that's the that's the thing with psychedelics is you can have your own intuitive spirit experience with it. However, if you do not have a dedicated meditation practice, if you are not regularly opening up your shoulders and hips, mm. if you are not having these deep conversations, if you eat, if you are not eating well, yeah. you have no business doing psychedelics. Mm -hmm. There are so many different things that you can do to feel better, to reach higher states of consciousness yeah. before putting something in the mouth, like a drug, right? Like, mm -hmm. like a pharmaceutical. Yeah, absolutely. So... I have a pretty strong stance that mm. if somebody is going to, if it's coming to you in your dreams and you're called to it, you answer. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not above that. However, if you're using THC or really anything mm -hmm. without having a devoted daily meditation practice or yeah. spiritual practice in itself, you must first start there because you can't integrate it otherwise. Like you need a space. If you're gonna have this profound experience, yeah. if you have a life-changing experience, you need an integration framework to make sure that it adapts in your day in and day out mm -hmm. to have 
a life-changing life to live on your highest possible timeline. Mm, okay. So I, I thought you both did it and I was like, all right, I want to hear about your experience. So that was a yeah. totally different answer than I was expecting. Um, and I, I agree based off of my experience. Um, I was not really seeking ayahuasca. I, I met a friend, my buddy Jay, and it just, it just kind of came in through this organic relationship, this buildup of this friendship that I have with Jay. And I mean, my first experience was amazing. I've learned a lot <clears throat> from it and I'm going to be doing it again in October. After that, I don't know if I'll ever do it again or if I, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But nice. there, the, the, the beauty of after I've done it, there has been just multiple people and like resources and signals of just like, it's not everything. It's not like, because there, because of, the lesson of it being so profound and like set like centrally too, like the activation physically and emotionally and all these different things. Like that's why I can see how people it's, it's like MDMA and, and you know, like THC people rely on it for maybe pleasure and they have a desire to do it for the pleasure, but their relationship might be unhealthy with it. And so for me, looking back, it was absolutely healthy. I mean, it, there was this constant, like push and pull between like do I have the right intentions I mean this seems to have entered my life and yeah there, there's this constant phrase of if ayahuasca calls you should answer it right but if it if you're just like abruptly trying to do it or you're getting a Facebook ad on yeah then, then maybe you should like you know <laughs> just like contemplate it if it's the right choice um, but yeah there's been so much that I've learned from it and you know, I, I actually, I went back to work pretty much like the week after, um, but we, we did it in the beginning of the week and I, we had all like the rest of the week to integrate in the jungle of Costa Rica, which like no technology, it was pretty dope. Um, so it was a great atmosphere to be, uh, you know, just immersed into for, for the after effects of, um, but I, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because yeah, there does seem to be this is another confirmation or another message that I've received from, uh, you know, another person was, uh, her name's Camille and she's like, everybody, she reemphasized this message. It was like, everybody wants to do ayahuasca, but they don't want to do the dishes. And, uh, I love that because it, what it means is, is that it's like big pharma. People just want a pill yeah. to cut out the bullshit, to cut out whatever's subconsciously ailing you. Uh, and ayahuasca, granted, it's this natural, these natural plants that have are way different than a pharmaceutical pill. Uh, but uh, it's still like some people just are, are like, I don't want to do any, any work. Mm -hmm. I just want to fucking give it to me. And I've heard, I've heard multiple people say that to me in my, in my journey. And for me, I've been doing, I mean, I've been on my own, like daily meditation practice, journaling, all like I've been doing like, so I think that's why it, it came to me because mm -hmm. I was having so much trouble emotionally releasing certain certain mm -hmm. things. And that's what it did for me. And it was like, I, I can tap back into, I was able to tap back into like bliss and finding joy. Anyways. Um, that's powerful. It was very powerful. So it's a tool. You know, it's a, definitely a tool. To I like use. Camille's quote. Yeah. I always say, like everybody wants to go on a life-changing experience or retreat and do Aya or right. mushrooms, but they don't want to call their father. <laughs> and I could tell you, you probably need to call your father. Yeah. You know, or yeah. or if you if we have a one-on-one -on -one session together, not you and I, but 
if you dive in and you do the breath work and you're asked a series of questions because something in our culture is we don't ask each other good questions. That's mm -hmm. why I love podcasts. It's so fun because yeah. finally somebody's asking you good questions. Mm -hmm. But if we ask people the right questions and we told them how to connect with themselves, then is there a need to go fly to Peru and be in the right. jungle? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that if you're, yeah, if you're not doing anything at all to progress towards a higher form of self through meditation, through diving deep, being honest with yourself, doing all these different modalities, whatever, uh, you shouldn't just dive into psychedelics. Um, I do think if you're trying your best and you're having issues and, and there's specific conditions, I mean, like, you know, veterans that have major PTSD uh, and there are certain results in which they do this ayahuasca or ibogaine or whatever and they come out and their addiction is gone. I mean, that's like profound to see those like anecdotal pieces of evidence. But um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's wild. Um, and there are some cultures that do ayahuasca. That's the thing that kind of also piques my curiosity though as we talk about this, like there are cultures that do it on a regular basis. Like it's a part of uh, their religious doctrine. Um, and I think it's called the Santo Daimi that I recently read. And that's like something that, you know, uh, makes me want to dive deeper into. It's like, are you using it as a crutch? Is it this sacred drink? Like when you, you're blessing the wine? Um, for them, yes. Yeah, for them it is, yeah. I have a lot of conversations with people and they'll say, you know, this is what I'm meditating on. And they're talking like a big, about a big life decision in their life. Yeah. And then they'll say, but I can't make a decision until my next mushroom trip. <laughs> and I think, huh? huh. Yeah. There's I don't something know what, there. Yeah. Why? I think like we need to start challenging that belief system. And if that's, if you're dependent on that. Yeah. Then there's something to be talked about yeah. there. Yeah. Why would you want to, you don't want to depend on anything, right? I mean, yeah, depend on your basic needs. So that's the first chakra, the Muladhar right. chakra mm -hmm. sits at the base of the tailbone. Safety, security, comfort, food, shelter, your basic needs that must be met. Depend on Wi-Fi, right? Depend on water, depend on high quality food and grown from a farm or delivered to you mm -hmm. if, if you can. Yeah. Depend on the person you choose to spend the rest of your life with. Depend on yourself. And somewhere along the way, we've invited in all these different things yeah that prevent us from trusting thyself. And when you don't trust thyself, then it's so easy to say yes to a Facebook ad. It's so easy yeah. to have promiscuous sex that doesn't feel fulfilling or eat shitty food or drink a lot of alcohol <clears throat> or smoke a lot of things that just, yeah, hurt yeah. you over time. You can become dependent. So, and maybe you can comment on this uh, <clears throat> with the, you know, social media is very prevalent now and a lot of people have businesses on them. You know, for me, growing this podcast, for you, maybe your practice. My whole business, Your yeah. whole business is on Instagram or whatever it may be. And, and there's so many people here just in Austin, but just in general, that use uh, Instagram or Facebook and whatnot. There's also options of just having your own website, right? But the, the social media algorithm and that, kind of, that marketing effect is what helps you bring in cash flow, right? So then you can feed yourself, have Wi-Fi, all this stuff. So people can, I can see how them, they can become prey independent on these other things. Uh, it's very 
hard and you watch the social dilemma and you see how they manipulated these social media algorithms mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So it's like, and then that's why there's Noster. I don't know if you've ever heard of Noster. Of course I know Noster. Okay. Well, not everyone. So you're like. <laughs> I'm in it. I know. I'm like, I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm yeah. in the world. Fuck yeah. I, yeah. Fuck yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. And I love the, I wanted to say, I love the, something amazing about living in Austin is we've met so many amazing men. Mm. And of course there's a, there's, I feel like I, I love my male friends in Chicago. However, like the unchained guys are the best. Like, I just oh, think yeah. there's different conversations that are happening here. The Bitcoin community is the best. With the wellness scene here, it's not so pretentious. It's mm. the best. Yeah. And John and I always say how we've met just men who are doing the deep work. And I'll respond to something we talked about earlier about masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. A balanced masculine worships the feminine. Mm. And that's the definition oh, wow. of a grounded masculine. Yeah. Devotion to the feminine protects the feminine does everything they can to make sure the feminine feels safe. Mm. And that's, I think, a lot of the men in Austin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to make that, to ponder on that more. Um, Yeah, I would agree with that to an extent. Yeah, I think um, there's also, at least from what I'm seeing, there's just this awareness of things are going awry or just wrong in regards to the money system. But I think it does come back to that, to the feminine. Um, you know, uh, that's interesting that I, I'd have to like ponder on that more. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's, uh, I mean, Unchained specifically, that's why I came to Austin, right? right? That's how I started. And now I'm doing this and I still work for Unchained. Um, but yeah, I had Sasha on the podcast recently. I've had Tom, my buddy Tom on. I'm going to have, I plan on having more Unchained and Bitcoiners on. Um, I had John on. Uh, I think he was episode three. I had Jose yeah, a while on. ago, yeah. yeah. That, was a long, that was in the very beginning and I was like so nervous for this podcast thing. And um, John did great. We talked about crowd health. <clears throat> um, and yeah, there there is this different vibe of, uh, of kind of like this... Um, I don't know, like a balance of uh, just of your energy and who you are as a person. And it's not really overly selfish, um, but it's, yeah, the culture here is beautiful. I, I, I feel like a broken record when I do these episodes. Uh, it's very unique and um, not even just the Bitcoiners, but even the Squatch uh, community, you know, it's just um, people that are kind of waking up to different things and trying to become more conscious um, so I feel like we're bouncing around. Um, I did want to, yeah, I did want to dive more into uh, when you were in India, you met different gurus. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I look back on some of my podcasts right after the ayahuasca trip um, and I think I've handled it pretty well in regards to like how I talk about it. And, you know, I could, oh, there's always room for improvement. And, um, but yeah, that was one theme is, is, uh, the spiritual materialism. It's just, it's just the ego in, uh, in the realm of spirituality and the ego can be anywhere, you know, like the overinflated ego and in, in tech or in fitness or spirituality or, you know, different industries, uh, different realms. And um, I'm curious if you want to provide a story of how you learned 
about this this aspect, this spiritual materialism, where people think that because they're worshipped, this is the reason behind. I mean, you know, the Catholic Church, what we were talking mm-hmm. about, um, how that can go in the wrong direction. You know, absolute power can corrupt, and spirituality, even though it has like very good intentions and it has all this holiness and you know aspect to it, it, it does have. You know, you can't. One thing I said on one of my podcasts is like you can't have the you can't have the light without darkness, and there are dark aspects of being immersed into the spirituality, you know, sphere, um, the realm. And so, I was wondering if you could provide a, maybe a story or whatever you feel called to share, because I saw that on your website. You was like, I, you said that you met multiple spiritual gurus that you could tell there was a lot of materialism and there was a superficiality maybe or over, you know, yeah. like the emperor kind of, uh, or what's the, the God syndrome you kind of yeah. can get. Yeah. Let's talk about the ego. So Freud introduced super ego, ego and the id. And this is like the first time that the Western world heard of the term, the ego, mm. the spiritual world took it on. And we, would say, and there's even specific practices. I used to teach this one kundalini practice called the ego eradicator. And it helps you surpass your ego. Now the ego can be this feeling state of, I am better than everybody else. The ego can also be, I'm not worthy of anything. Mm -hmm. And it is so essential to have a healthy ego. Your ego reminds you to brush your teeth. Your ego reminds you to shower. Mm -hmm. And then I've met so many people, incredible, wise, loving, beautiful people in the spiritual world that are so worried to come off as overconfident or uh, worried to even invite in their ego Mm -hmm. because we've deemed it as bad. And if anything, I've had to self-promote myself significantly since 2016. Mm. And like that's, and I have a thriving business and it did require a healthy ego to go out into the world and say, Listen, if you want to heal using Eastern ritual and Western psychology, if you want to line, if you want to grow, follow me on Instagram. Let's connect, book a call. And there's something to be said about the ego. Now, when I was in, so I moved to Israel when I was 23. I moved to India when I was 24. This is 20. uh, I moved to India in October 2015. And when I say I moved to India, I had an Indian boyfriend. I had an Indian group of friends. I had one or two Western friends. I took bucket baths. I washed my hair six times over the course of six months. I was studying Ayurveda, so I let coconut oil be in my hair the whole time. I had a very lengthy Ayurvedic morning practice of oil pulling and tongue scraping and abhyanga, which is rubbing oil all throughout your body. I lived in so many different ashrams and spiritual centers. And early on, and at this, I, this is one of the chapters in my book, I was wanted to study at an Ayurvedic ashram in Rishikesh in Northern India. And I was teaching in the slums of Mumbai for my first two months in, in India. Mm. And you get school off during, during Diwali. So Diwali is usually around the same time as Hanukkah and Christmas. It's the festival of lights. So that's the same thing as Hanukkah is like this celebration of light, similar to Christmas in the Western way of decorating the Christmas tree. There's this theme of light. Mm-hmm. So I had two weeks off and I went to Rishikesh and I paid $500 to live in a, which is a lot in India, yeah. <clears throat> to live in an ashram for seven days. And that was a lot for me at 24, right? I was, mm. I had a really good corporate job before I left, but I, I was traveling and I was trying to save. 
And on my intake form at this ashram, I'm sitting with the guru on site. And he says, what are you working on? And I was 24 and I really wanted to work on my anxiety. I wanted to work on my negative thought patterns. I wanted to manifest, you know, Baruch Hashem, thank God, the life that I have now. And, and I was so lonely. And this is something that we don't talk about when you travel. When I've spent significant amount of my life as a solo female traveler, you get so lonely. You're on the other side of the world. Wherever you go, there you are. It's still you. Mm-hmm. And... I sh- like, and I think also we were talking about yoga and I said I had tight hips, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was yeah. kind of just talking about the things I was moving through. A couple of days go by. And Rishikesh is amazing. I went to the Beatles ashram. The Indians there speak Hebrew. There's so many Israelis. There's like all these really like incredible Nepalese cafes. The food's amazing because in Mumbai you eat Indian food. That's all you, it's food. That's all you eat. In Rishikesh, they had some more Western options. I was able to get like an omelet. Like it was very exciting. Mm -hmm. And I go back to the ashram and like this guru was so sketchy. He was like a lurker. He was kind of always around. And he started telling me how he recently got married to a match made by his parents, but he hasn't heard from her. Like this is his wife that he hasn't Mm. heard from in like a very long time. And he said, and like a couple, you know, there's like a silent pause and he like puts his hand on my knee and he's like, maybe we can help each other. I can open up your second chakra. And he's like essentially <laughs> saying, you know, let's, let's, have sex. Sex. let's have sex. And I, I packed up my things. <laughs> I had one friend at the ashram. She was 62 years old. And I packed up my things and I, I left that moment. And this is where it really gets crazy. And I've always had a deep devotion and a belief that there's a higher power that God exists. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down the street in Rishikesh, the sun's setting. I have my everything on my back. I'm stressed because I paid for that other place, but I couldn't stay there anymore. Mm-hmm. And I need to figure out where to go. And in Rishikesh, it's not such a big deal. It's like $6 to get a nice, a nice place for a night or a safe place for a night. But I was feeling so unsafe. The sun is setting and I don't know what to do. And I'm walking down the street and I'm like, God, like, please, ancestors, please guide me. Where do I go? And I decide to take a left and I'm walking down this street and I see these two people looking directly at me and it, and I walk up to them. We make eye contact. We say hi. And it's this woman, Pip, from, from Rotterdam outside of An- Amsterdam mm. and this guy, Ellie, from New York, like mamash, like big, big Jew, like mm-hmm. just we connected in a second, distant connections, yeah. uh, something we call Jewish geography. <laughs> And we connect and they're like, do you want to have dinner? Let's go eat. I explain to them everything that happened. I'm like, I, I'm like very shaken, totally nervous. There's not good cell service. I'm starving. But I meet these super kind, sweet people. And Pip is like, don't worry. You and I will find a place to sleep tonight. She's like, I also just finished my yoga teacher training. Mm. Ellie's like, he's just so loving, so sweet. They're older than I and just very welcoming. And then Ellie turns to me and he says, Aaron, I don't want to freak you out, but there's a guy staring at you. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you have to turn around. There's a guy in the back of the cafe looking at you and he keeps looking at you. And I turn around and I'm like, holy shit. And I walk over and it was one of my friends from Jerusalem. He would like, it was the guy that worked in Machani Yehuda, which is the shuk in Jerusalem. (laughs) And he made my juice for me, like whenever I would go through and he was in India. And it's these things mm. where you're so aligned, you're so connected. It gave me goosebumps. Yeah. And it, it, and it makes you remember 
that you have to trust a little bit, but you have to take the leap and you have to lean in. Yeah. I got goosebumps. Just just, um, hearing that story, something that's, I've got the book in my bag right now. It's called um, Synchronicity. Yeah. And it's written by Carl Jung, who's a psychologist. Yep. Um, I haven't read it. It's just sitting in the, in the bag right now. But I will. It's one of his most sacred books. I mean, he talks about the... It's fascinating. I mean, well, that, so that synchronicity that just happened with you. So that uncomfortable moment, that kind of dark, you know, um, the, this guy that is, ma- is masking or, or playing the role of being a spiritual guru is potentially trying to take advantage of his power or whatever you want to call him, his role into opening up your second chakra, not in a way that's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, right for you. It's for, it's right for his sexual pleasures. Right. And that's uncomfortable as I'm sure as a woman, you know, that's uncomfortable to, to deal with. But the fact that you walked away, you have to know that though. Yeah. Like I've talked to so many women who trust the guru. And then they have sex. I mean, that's my next book. I mean, I just, between Bali and Costa Rica and India, Thailand and Vietnam, I just have so many stories and it's not, and, and they're not all so dark, right? There are authentic educators out there. Um, so you're talking about synchronicity by, by well, Carl the, Jung. Yeah. But the fact that you, that happened, if it didn't happen, you potentially may not have ran into your friend from right. Jerusalem, right? right. And then you, you might confirmation. have. But I mean, you having to leave, feeling the way that you felt, afraid, yeah. you know, yeah. and then you take a left and you meet these people and these people probably, they, yeah, the Jewish um, geography, as you mentioned, they're like this, you know, potentially they subconsciously, instinctively knew that you needed help in some way too. And, oh, yeah. And then all that happened. So that, that synchronicity... There's no explanation. And Carl Jung, I think in the, in the book, according to what I've heard, is he's trying to like find a scientific experimental way of like defining this. He did. This. So that's the book is about the collective unconscious. So Freud and Freud and Jung, uh, Freud was much older or older. And Jung is a Jung is a Swiss psychologist. A lot of what we know to be true in the West is the foundation of psychology is still built on Freud, Jung, Maslow, Erickson, like all of these mm. old white men. Yeah, yeah. And Jung talked a lot about synchronicity, which was rooted in the collective unconscious. So the collective unconscious is how you and I could sit here and we could talk about a mother-daughter relationship and we unconsciously understand that dynamic. So synchronicity is something that's built up upon from the collective unconsciousness and also married with archetypes. So archetypes are like schemas of uh, specific categories or groups Mm -hmm. of people. So the wise woman or like the virgin, like the pure virgin, like these um, Carrie Bradshaw, Sex in the City, like they all have very specific archetypes. Mm. Carrie is the journalist, the thinker, inquisitive, sensual. Samantha, she's sex, right? She's the symbol of maybe the divine femme. Charlotte, she's the virgin, right? She's pure. So we see this in our Western culture. So that's a lot of mm. what you'll read in this book. Mm. And I, you know, part of me, <clears throat> I wonder, um, this is, going to probably agitate myself and other people, but, you know, if, if this collective unconsciousness through maybe like the study of epigenetics, 
um, and this is like the the scientific you know aspect of of analyzing and experimenting aspect uh, or part of me comes in and like starts to think well do you think the collective unconsciousness and this unconscious uh these subconscious um knowings right they come from just the thousands thousands and thousands and thousands of years of humanity existing uh and adapting and then that just being built into our bones right and i think that could be could that i mean could that be measured in a way and i don't i don't know i don't i'm not sure but um Epigenetics seems because th- there used to be this. Uh, there's a, another book I have it's called The Biology of Belief, and then the study of cells and what happens to you when you start to believe in something higher than you and in yourself in a more optimistic way, mm-hmm. and your cells actually change and the chemistry, just your body changes. I haven't read the whole book, and uh, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So epigenetics is coming um, into play and. Uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, I... I mean, it's important. It's your lineage, right? It's what's passed down. It's we are all eggs from our... Our grandmother was carrying us, right? Mm-hmm. Our existence is because our grandmother had eggs in her ovaries and like that's how we came to be. And even right now being pregnant, it's like I, I really need to be conscious about staying chill and not yeah. getting too yeah, stressed yeah. because I know my baby feels that or... Mm-hmm. Um, eating well and making sure, like I was in Chicago and I went to my favorite restaurant and I ordered what I always order, which is a grass-fed steak Mm. and I got sick from it. And then like, you're just flushing your system and you're like trying to keep the the baby safe, the baby uh, pure. There's a book called It Didn't Begin With You and it's all about epigenetics because Mm. it is so true because a lot of our neuroses, so Karen Horn, I would say, the more neuroses we add up, the more neurotic we are. Today, we call neuroses very specific things. Anxiety, depression, ADD, ADHD. Like we have a very clinical diagnosis for it. Decades ago, like four decades ago, five decades ago, it was just straight up neuroses. We didn't Mm. even have specific language for all these different things. But epigenetics is a very real thing, right? It's your lineage. It's some of us tend to be more anxious because our ancestors were anxious. So many of us had to flee, right? Even though your like your lineage is Catholic, that also wasn't welcome in a lot of places in Eastern Europe at one point or another. So this, we all come from a culture where we typically had to leave or convert or fight something or escape famine or mm-hmm. lions so there's definitely something within our system of course yeah <clears throat> so fascinating um yeah i uh it, there's just so there's like an endless amount of nat- like my natural curiosity this is why i love doing the podcast is just being able to to ju- jump into these different aspects um and part of me does want to start to uh dive more into my ancestry uh the bitcoiner in me <clears throat> doesn't love using these different yeah you know these different uh, 23 and me well yeah so 23 and me and like ancestry.com there's these tools that you can use right but they also collect your data and then i mean if you if you're paying attention to this aspect of society right now there can be an abuse towards collecting that part of your data which honestly you know, there's probably so there's we all have data that's being collected, whether we want it to or not. Um, so I, I, I had this aversion to like doing it, but I have a strong desire to learn more about my ancestry. Um, because I think you 
you know yourself better, right? You can understand yourself better. You can understand where you came from. You can understand why, you, you know, when I started meditating, I, I gained awareness towards things that I was like struggling with and that awareness, that knowledge of why it happened. You know, maybe you had an anxiety attack because you weren't taking care of your body because of this and that, these subconscious beliefs, whatever. And when you understand it, it's like, oh man, that's okay. And then you make different decisions and you can, purify your life a little bit more and so by diving into your your ancestry more um yeah have you used any of those tools or do you just have a no my mom did though so i feel my mom was adopted so it was pretty interesting when she did it Uh, and we got a lot of information from that absolutely everybody needs to get curious about their ancestry and there's a lot to know there, especially if you have gut issues, to know what your ancestors Ooh. ate. That's one of the most important places to start. Or if you're like contemplating your connection to God, just ask how your grandparents and great-grandparents used to connect and pray to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much of my ancestry is Eastern European and also nomadic and gypsies, right? And like people that just traveled around with their belongings on yeah. their back, shifting from place to place. Another thing that you said that was really interesting, it's almost as if there's like a reclaiming happening. So a, de- a decision to decide, yes, the first thing is to question your ancestry and decide what resonates with you. Mm-hmm. And then two, what are the modern day practices that you're going to integrate that are going to keep you calm, centered, and present? Mm. That's something that I'm trying to do now, oh, um, experimenting here and there. Um, you empower individuals to live their own like authentic aligned business. Um, and I was wondering if you had like a really cool testimonial like, of a specific client or. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I live the life, right? Live the life that you most desire. So the aligned coaching certification, your lung container, where you become a certified meditation teacher and spiritual psychology coach. I have my one client, Michelle, who teaches incarcerated women in jail in Florida. And she's teaching like these sacred meditation practices to women who desperately need it. And the first, it's a four term uh, certification. And the first term is a meditation teacher training, because once you have these practices, they are so life altering. Once you know Mm. how to relax your your nervous system, you can connect to thyself. It is so life altering. And the term two is the spiritual psychology immersion. So the Eastern chakra system and it's marriage to Western psychology. Term three is the aligned coaching signature framework. So we talk a lot about science of happiness, science of nourishment, emotional intelligence, listening, manifestation, which Mm. is a huge, huge thing that I immensely believe in. And the last term is the business and clinical immersion. So case studies and embodying the transformation because I've been in this industry for so long. So many people want to dive deep within themselves And that's like statistically people that do yoga teacher trainings, they're not necessarily doing it because they want to teach yoga. They want to take themselves on a journey. Mm -hmm. Same thing is true for the aligned coaching certification. So many people just want to be held for a whole school year and take themselves on a deep journey and meet like-minded people. We have men and women in this upcoming, in this upcoming cohort and we begin um, in September. And it's also for people because the most stable job you can ever have is the one that you create for yourself. Mm. So it can also be, uh, it's for a lot of people, it's how they're launching their coaching business, coaching, mentor, leadership, retreat industry is booming. Corporate wellness is booming. One-on-one coaching, group coaching, mentorship. I mean, all of these things. Exciting. 
And then if you're already in the industry and you have no language around meditation or spiritual psychology or science of happiness, you have, you have to, right? Like if you are helping your clients transform and you do not share a foundational, a foundational practice of connecting to the breath mm. or opening up the body, the practices won't integrate. It won't be a life-changing experience working with you. You need to incorporate the breath. You need to incorporate movement. You need to incorporate meditation. Mm-hmm. I have another client. I mean, I have clients that have gone on and built $100,000 businesses, which is what so many people want, which is true freedom. They're also mothers. So to be able to have an abundant business, to be a mother, I don't think women need to work that much. Uh, it's not the, the best thing for us. We have mm-hmm. other things that we, we could yeah. be doing. And uh, I meditate on that belief system a lot and like see how that's incorporated into feminism. But entrepreneurship is an incredible pathway to peace for, for a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. Another amazing, I mean, I've so I mean, I've had so many incredible clients. I have uh, the greatest thing about my programming is you end up meeting your soul family. So I have people that have been in my containers and now they lead retreats with them and their business partners mm. or their best friends, their lifelong best friends. Wow. And that's the, the greatest side effect of really sharing programming in this space. But yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it's super fulfilling for you to see the, those really connections fun. happen as well. Um, well, we've got, we, we've been talking for two hours. Nice. So appreciate your time. And the conversation went all over. Yeah. yeah. But it was um, very enlightening to hear about your certification and your background and your journey. And I'm honored that you were, uh, you felt called to come on the podcast. Um, where can people, uh, find you? Where would you want to recommend people to find you? Yeah. Follow me on Instagram at Aaron R. Doppelt, E-R-I-N-R-D-O-P-P-E-L-T. I'm also there on TikTok. I have YouTube show called Talk Show with Aaron. I talk a lot about these practices. It's completely free, of course. The Align Coaching Certification is open for enrollment. So hit me up if this is in alignment. Mm. And my website's AaronRachel.Pelt.com so we can hang out there. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So fun hanging. Peace.